Welcome to the Seattle Public Library's podcasts of author readings and library events, a series of readings, performances, lectures, and discussions. Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. Thank you. Um, for all of us at Elliott Bay, it's a great honor and pleasure to be here tonight and to be welcoming Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who is here with, um, he could be here for many reasons, um, but tonight is here uh, on the publication of two um, novels that are sort of aimed and addressed at, at younger readers. And um, the first one, it's, first one of which was first published a little over a year ago, entitled Sasquatch in the Paint, and the, and the newly published, which is newly in paperback, and then a newer one uh, called Stealing the Game. Um, I'll say a little more about them in just a moment, but... But to say that for me, um, it was a different day and age. I was about the age that these books would have been written for, um, a child in the Midwest um, and reading in Life magazine about a young man who was in high school in New York City and um, leading his high school to this amazing record of, of, in basketball games. That young man um, very evidently and noticeably went to UCLA and there um, helped change the game of basketball as we know it. Um, not only with his own talents, but 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 the way he was part of a team there, and then um, that carried over in um, over 20 years as a professional player with Milwaukee Bucks and Los Angeles Lakers. Um, through all that, um, extraordinary um, levels of playing and and um, again success. Um, he also was one of the people who um, made several significant. Stands at different times, which made cultural, political, religious moments where he was occasionally, it was often uh, criticized or um, derided for what he was doing, but um, this included not participating in the 1968 Olympics, included um, religious conversion, and many other things. Things that um, we don't hear of so much of um, athletes in, until very recently beginning to do, and as, as, as someone who's both been a public figure, but also just as his own private, individual way, he's, he's led a very singular, unique, and remarkable life. He's done that since retiring as a player 25 years ago um, in a number of ways, um, including philanthropic ways, including um, educational ways, including serving as a recently, um, a few years ago, Secretary of State Clinton um, appointed him a cultural ambassador, and through writing books, and, and uh, continuing to write online through Time Magazine, both online and in the magazine, all kinds of things that are not written of uh, enough and doing so smartly, um, intelligently, compassionately, and with, with a good perspective that, that is, um, not, actually we don't have many people his, of his generation writing uh, and addressing young people so eloquently and smartly as he does, not only in that kind of writing, but in the novels he's here for tonight. These books both use basketball, um, and uh, but all the things that happen in basketball, and though their story of young boys is also applicable to young girls, to anyone at a certain age learning their place in the world about how to be part of a group and have a success and failure. And their books have a lot of fun in it, but there's a lot of good um, lessons and, and, and stories that um, I think he'll relate a little bit, talk about the books, and what's led to the writing of them and, and their perspective. He's, he's written other books for adults. 
and young people as well. So um, it's continuing to do this, and um, in, in this is one of the most unique and vital figures we have um, with us today. So as, as I explained, he will talk, do some, he'll talk a little bit, and we'll handle, take questions, and then um, he, uh, he'll be in the back, and the line will go out this way. We have copies of his books over here um, at the table uh, for sale, and um, you'll get a chance to meet him and uh, have your book signed uh, following all this. So again, um, for all of us at the LA Bay Book Company and for the Seattle Public Library, we thank all of you for being here tonight. And now I ask you please join in giving a warm Seattle welcome to the remarkable and unique and vital individual that is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Thank you very much. It's uh, really a pleasure to have this opportunity to uh, interact with you. Um, I brought my book with me, so... Just in case you haven't seen it, this is the cover. It's called um, Stealing the Game. It's the second in a, in a trilogy. And it's about um, young people growing up and playing sports and trying to figure out uh, what the world is all about and what they themselves are all about. That's basically my approach to this. Uh, I used my own life uh, growing up in uh, New York City and uh, not fitting in. When I was in the eighth grade, I was like six foot seven. And um, I was still growing, too, you know. I, I went to the ninth grade, I was six foot ten. So to give you an idea of what, how I stood out, I definitely stood out. I was once flagged in the, in the movie house. Uh, they came to get me to escort me out and wanted to know why I was standing on the chairs. <laughs> on the seats in the audience there. And uh, when they got me out into the aisle, they said, oh, we, we get it now. So... Um, but they didn't give me my money back anyway. <laughs> but uh, young people go through all of these things, uh, you know, not fitting in, trying to figure out who those strange people are that uh, are the opposite sex. What do you do about uh, trying to play, you know, sports? And, of course, the sport I, I chose is uh, basketball. But, uh, you know, just how do you get along with uh, your teammates? What are you going to be about intellectually? All these things are, are things that uh, kids go through uh, when they're going through uh, that time period, and they all think that it's, like, too painful and too crazy, and how are they going to get through it? And they don't understand that every, every person goes through adolescence uh, and has to, has to deal with that, and can, uh, it can be a very confusing, and uh, even though it's very exciting, it can be scary time also. So that's, that's what I wrote about. Um, I grew up in a, in a part of uh, Manhattan in New York City that was very diverse, and I think that uh, that whole experience really enabled me to have a good perspective on what young people are going through right now. Also, my um, collaborator on this book, Mr. Raymond Opsfeld, he has uh, two kids who are now presently in uh, junior high school, and uh, one is starting high school. So he, he gets it. He, he understands, and he's... Uh, we, we can really collaborate uh, very effectively. So uh, that's basically what the book is about. It's about hoops, and um, there's a little bit of mystery in here. I, I'm, a, I'm a budding mystery writer, so there's a, a crime to be solved and um, questions to be asked. And it just uh, it's basically about uh, trying to figure out uh, how you fit and, and what's going on. So that, that, that's what the book is about, and um, I hope all of you who we're kind enough to purchase a, a copy of it. We'll uh, enjoy it, and I hope your children 
get something positive from it. And I think that's about it for me, any formal statements I have. Uh, any of you who want to ask me some questions, we have time to do uh, Q&A. So uh, if you just speak loudly and raise your hand, uh, I'll try and answer questions for, for uh, a while. Yes. How long did it take me to write the book? It, uh, it took us, me and uh, Raymond about eight months to write this book. And we were lucky we already had one copy, uh, uh, rather the, the first installation of the book, Sasquatch in the Paint. So, you know, we had already got it started. So we've been rolling for a little while, for about two years. But it, it took us about eight months uh, to formulate each chapter and put together the, the final uh, the final product, which you which you see here. Yes. How did it feel being the general of the Los Angeles Lakers? Well, it, it was wonderful having the opportunity to, to play on a great team like that on on the Lakers. I got to play with Magic and a lot of other really great athletes: James Worthy, Norm Nixon, Jamal Wilkes, um, Byron Scott, Michael Cooper. We we had a great team, and uh, when you are at the top of your profession, it's a source of pride. And it's something where uh, you, you really uh, you really savor y your achievements. So uh, I, I'm very proud of what we were able to achieve, and um, I'm glad that uh, our legacy has lasted. Most of the time now when I get stopped, everybody's complaining about the way the game is played now. It's not the same. Um, everybody realizes that uh, Lakers Sonics was a lot more interesting than anything that they've seen recently. So uh, <laughs> that's what you got. Yes. Young man wants to know what it was like uh, meeting Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was a wonderful guy, man. He, he, um, he was uh, um, someone who really made a difference. <clears throat> Excuse me. He, he made a difference in, in martial arts in terms of how it is uh, practiced and the theory of it. And uh, it was really great meeting him. I, I met him while I was attending UCLA and trained with him for four years. And uh, he said, we'd, we'd get a shot, we would do a movie together. And uh, we did. And unfortunately, it was the last movie that he made. But he, he was a wonderful human being and someone that I enjoyed. I enjoyed his company. He was down to earth. One of the things that uh, really impressed me about Bruce was the fact that uh, Prior to him, you know, most of the people involved in martial arts were, were pretty, it was a pretty closed society. And uh, they would not pe teach people, if you were trying to study a Chinese form, it'd be a while before they'd let you in if you weren't Chinese. And Bruce didn't believe in that. He believed that everybody had something valuable to learn uh, in studying martial arts. And um, he learned from all sources, and he allowed all people uh, to come and study with him. And uh, I always uh, had a lot of respect for that. This was at a time when the uh, civil rights movement was uh, coming to a head. And uh, his vision on that was uh, exactly on point. And that's the type of guy he was. Uh, he was, uh, for what most Americans believe in uh, being the right way, tolerant and um, supportive of, of all his friends, no matter what they look like. Yes, sir. I, I've always been into writing. Uh, I, as a kid, I was an avid reader. That was because of my dad. I just 
inherited that from my dad. I always enjoyed reading and I enjoyed writing. And I was an English major at UCLA and it just continued. So I, I got it from a long way back, you know, just, yeah, I remember my grandmother, uh, my family's from the West Indies. I remember my grandmother telling me she did not want me to be an ignorant wretch. That, uh, that had a serious impact on me. Everybody, everybody listened to my grandmother and my family, or, or, or else. So you can understand that. Yes, sir. Well, I, the, the greatest thing that Coach Wooden taught me, basically, was uh, to be prepared, to really be committed to what you want to do and prepare yourself to succeed. Um, one of his favorite statements, when they, I will remember until they put me in the ground, is, Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. He, he would often mention that when people screwed up at practice. And um, he wanted to know what we were preparing to do. So <laughs> we ended up, we won 88 games. So we had a pretty good run there. Yes, sir. Well, well no, I, I can't do that because the, then you haven't read the first book either, so. So I'm not going to do that, but come back later. <laughs> yes, sir. A gentleman asked uh, about me mentioning in uh, my autobiography that the NBA season was too long. I suggested that they go back to the way it was in the early 60s and 50s where they played 60-odd games. That, that's what I suggested. Um, but uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that they need to play so many games on television to, to make their nut. Geez, I, you know, some of these teams are worth billions of dollars now. How many nuts are, are, are they collecting? <laughs> you know? But I, I, I think the game really has flourished. Uh, the way that uh, Commissioner uh, Stern sold it internationally and the, the whole world has bought into it. Uh, Really great athletes from from around the world now want to play professional basketball and focus on the NBA. I think that's a great achievement. And uh, all of a sudden now we're talking about basketball being on a par with the other international sports for for popularity. That, that's a, an awesome achievement, and uh, I have to give the NBA and Commissioner Stern credit for that. When did I master the skyhook? I probably mastered it somewhere between the sixth and eighth grade. Um, when I when I first started practicing it, no one was guarding me. I just worked on it. It was a drill that they gave me, and um, I, it's an interesting story. Mr. Kelly, who was the custodian of my of my uh, grade school, would give me the key to get into the gym because he knew that I wouldn't wouldn't mess up the chairs, you know. We used uh, the, the gym at my school. I went to Catholic school. The gym was the gym, and it was the church, and it was a casino at times. <laughs> uh, it was a roller rink. It was everything. But uh, one of the baskets was always stayed down, and uh, Mr. Kelly said, put the chairs back. I'll give you the key. So I, I would go in there and, and practice. Uh, they gave me a drill where you shoot the hook shot with either hand right in front of the basket. It's called the George Mikan drill. It's named after a great player named George Mikan who played at DePaul University and played on the Minneapolis Lakers when they were world champions uh, when the NBA first opened. Um, so th this, this drill 
is uh, a very effective way to, to get the footwork and touch and uh, learn the knowledge of how to use the backboard. And I started working on it when I was in the fifth grade. And I didn't have anything else. I didn't have anything else, anything else to practice on, uh, but I did have the key to the gym. <laughs> so I, I would go in there and, and practice the shooting, the, shooting the hook shot. Uh, by the time I was in the eighth grade, it was part and parcel of my game, a very effective tool. And I was able to use it for the rest of my career. But it's just uh, somebody took the time to show me when I was in the fifth grade. A lot of people always ask me now, well, how come no one else uses the sky hook? I mean, it's such a great shot. And it's pretty simple. Uh, young kids aren't learning it. Uh, the coaches who are working with young kids today don't teach them uh, post moves. Everybody is so enamored with the three-point shot. They all want to go out, put their toes on the three-point line, and try to get three instead of two. And uh, I learned how to play the game working with my back to the basket, very close to the basket where you get high percentage shots. This makes a big difference. You know, when you're shooting from eight feet, it's a lot easier than when you're shooting from 30 feet. But this has not seemed to seep through to the players that <laughs> are playing today. So you have a game. I don't know if you saw the uh, All-Star game on Sunday, but... Uh, my, my good friend Earl Monroe and I, we were, we were speculating as to whether or not one of the teams would score 200 points. <laughs> and they came close. It was, what, 180 or something? It was unbelievable. So uh, that, that's the state of the game today. I, I think they, that maybe they should uh, bring back a little bit more of the hand-checking and make it a little bit tougher to play. And uh, the games will become at least more interesting for the fans. Yes, sir. Oh, he asked me why I uh, wrote the Time Magazine article on class separation. I wrote that because uh, I saw that uh, all these issues having to do with uh, socioeconomic differences are, are causing a lot of trouble in our country. And um, we're all Americans. We, we all should help and understand each other and help each other to, to succeed. That's, that's what America is supposed to be about. So when I see uh, class warfare developing and uh, the 1% just acting like uh, they don't care, I, that bothers me, and that's what I wrote about. Well, thank you. Yes, sir. I, I'm all for the NC2A paying the athletes. I mean, it's absolutely. College athletes have been exploited for so long. You have a situation where the director of the NC the NC2A makes $1.7 million a year. And if you take uh, a tank of gas or buy yourself a, get yourself a free suit of clothes, you're declared ineligible. This is absurd. Um, these, the, the athletes are the ones that uh, create all of this wealth that uh, actually funds all of uh, college sports. Just uh, basketball and football fund everything. You know, the, the guys, people don't go out to see uh, water polo. But the water polo team gets money because the basketball team and the football team make that kind of money and, and everybody, uh, you know, lives off of that. And that, that's fine, but you, you should pay the people that put the bread on the table. And I, I'm glad that uh, this is changing uh, when athletes are, are paid what they should be paid. And we will figure that out at some point. I, I think we'll uh, reach a, 
a position of balance. Uh, I don't think most colleges will care if they, the athletes are, are making some money. Uh, when I went to school, the people in the band got paid. And they, they didn't, no one came, they, they didn't play any dances or anything. But uh, we couldn't get paid. So I'm glad that uh, this is changing, and uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I think it's about time. Thank you. Yes. Uh, my advice for you, when you're starting to play basketball, learn the fundamentals. All right? You've got to know how to pass the ball. You've got to know how to shoot the ball. You've got to know how to defend and rebound. Um, got to learn how to handle the ball. One thing, when you're handling the ball, make sure that you keep your eyes out and see who's open because when people are open and they don't get the ball, they're going to get very angry at you. <laughs> and you won't be handling the ball much longer after that. <laughs> so I'm warning you, as you learn how to dribble, learn how to dribble as you look away from the ball and don't look at the ball because your open teammates are going to uh, have quite a few ugly words to share with you when you don't do that. So just remember, stick to the fundamentals and have fun. If you don't have fun doing it, don't, don't do it. You should have fun playing this game. It'll keep you in shape and teach you about teamwork and a few other things that uh, we all can benefit from, from, uh, from learning. Yes? Oh, the most significant moment in my life outside of sports for me was uh, seeing my kids walk across the stage and get their diplomas. I'm so glad that I, I did that. I got five of them. They, they're all out of college. One is, one is a doctor. So I'm, I'm really proud of, uh, that I was able to get that done. And I'm glad they're all <laughs> I'm glad it's done. <laughs> and if you have put somebody through med school knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. You, you probably drove a Volkswagen here, too. Yes, young man, yes, yeah. My favorite basketball player. Jeez. My favorite basketball player would have to be somebody who lives in your town, Bill Russell. Yeah. Yeah, Bill, Bill set quite an example as an athlete, and he set quite an example as someone who was an activist who believed in America and what it should, should live up to. Um, I learned a lot from him growing up because uh, he, even during the time of the Civil Rights Movement, Bill was concerned and uh, oftentimes angry about things, but he never lashed out at the wrong people. He understood where to focus uh, our protest and how to protest and to do it sensibly and uh, with the purpose of making America a better place. And I learned a lot just uh, observing him. So uh, I got to tip my hat, hat to Bill. He, he was quite an inspiration and uh, quite, a, quite an American. And uh, I'm really proud to say that I, you know, I've known him for a long time, since I was 14 years old. Yes, sir. Would I still want to be the head coach? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm a little bit too long in the tooth for that. Now is the time to... Uh, Waiting for my kids to show up with some more grandchildren so that I can, <laughs> I can deal with that. Yes. My relationship with Magic Johnson were we were teammates. He was an awesome teammate. Anytime that you play with somebody who feels that his, his job is to get the scorers the ball, and I was the scorer. <laughs> I had to like that, you know. 
And uh, he was great at that, and uh, he was unselfish and uh, a great teammate. It was wonderful playing with him. Yes, sir, in the back there. Yeah. There, there were, I did shoot 500 a day, but that was when I was in grade school. <laughs> you know, you, ha you have to, how they say, if you want to develop a skill, you have to spend a certain amount of time. I did all of that when I was in grade school. So he was right. He just didn't have the timing of it right. But it's, it's true, I, I did. I spent a lot of time in the gym by myself, thanks to Mr. Kelly. Yes. Well, uh, in my own case, I was just very fortunate that I lived in a household where books were valued, and um, I got that germ planted within me very early. But uh, nowadays, it's so it's so different, and books are so much more accessible now. You know, you can somebody said they they had like seventy five books in their Kindle. You know, so it's it's so. It, much easier now to read, to, to have access to just this wonderful uh, expanse of, of literature. So you, you just have to make it where young people understand that there's something that they can relate to within uh, the, 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 field, the, uh, the field of literature. And it's so broad. So obviously there are modern day uh, applications. You can get some of uh, these young people to watch either the BBC or uh, the elementary series to see, to, to learn about Sherlock Holmes' personality. I'm sure that can uh, prompt them to go and read the original uh, novels and short stories by Arthur Conan Doyle. I first read them uh, when I was a rookie. I, I went on my first road trip and someone had given me a complete uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and um, I just took it. I said, yeah. I might as well read this because I, I had watched um, Sherlock Holmes Theater with Basil Rathbone on Saturdays <laughs> and uh, as a kid. And then I watched uh, Jeremy Brett. So, I, you know, I was into it. And, uh, but uh, getting the book was uh, uh, a turning point for me. And from then, uh, I just started, I became uh, uh, an intense reader of the, of the genre 
Totally. So I went from Arthur Conan Doyle to Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett and Jean Le Carre and on and on and on. So that's how it goes. Uh, you just if you lay out the right crumbs, you'll 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 draw them in. Got time for three more questions? Okay. Yes, ma'am. I'm I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm Nobel prizes. Uh, I I think that. Um, just encouraging people to read and getting them to master that skill can lead in all kinds of directions. So that's the only thing that's important to me is that uh, people have access to books. This young little lady right here has a question. How did I figure out the names while I was writing the books? Well, I had some help. Yes, there's a guy that I write with named Raymond Obsfeld, and uh, we work on these things together. So a lot of times, uh, a lot of authors have help from someone who is their editor, and I have a great editor named Raymond Obsfeld, and he collaborates with me on my books. So we work hand in hand. Sometimes I have great ideas, and I give them to him and share them with him, and sometimes it goes the other way. But that's a great question. Thank you so much. This is going to be the last question. Okay. How much battles you guys had between the Sonics and, and, and the Lakers? Last time I saw you, in, uh, Will Christian was walking down Fourth Avenue back in the seventies. That was that was too long ago. I can't remember back. <laughs> so we, the Sonics aren't here anymore. Anyway, we don't want to talk about Oklahoma City. Let's so we do. We'll do, we'll do one last question. All right, this gentleman here. How many NBA championship rings do I have? Eight. Okay. If you had to pick one ring, which one would it be? Oh, that's really easy. Uh, 1985, we beat the Boston Celtics. That, that was <laughs> the best time I had playing basketball. <laughs> it was the very first time that the Lakers beat the Celtics. And it was the very first time I had lost... Uh, World Championship Series to the Celtics when I played for the Bucks, and then I had lost one to them when I was with the Lakers. So, 1985 it enabled me to erase that. And it was wonderful. Um, I think we partied in LA for at least a year and a half. <laughs> so, listen, I want to thank you for your questions. I'll be signing books out in the back, and it was wonderful. Um, It was wonderful to see you all come out. I, I, didn't, I didn't expect to see all you people. Fred Brown even came out and said hello to me. I'm totally shocked. He used to try to trip me when I was on the court. So um, it, it was really wonderful. And we'll see you in about five minutes. Thank you so much. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.